This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 444 of the Yellow Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko. And today, <laughs> we will get to preview a game from the top of the table <laughs> against the second best team of the Bundesliga currently. I'm uh, very excited. And with me here is Matthias Zug to preview the match against FC Bayern. And maybe, since we've not been around for a while, uh, talk a little bit about the Schalke game and, of course, the 6-1 shellacking of the Erste Fußballclub Köln. Matthias, how are you doing? It's great to have you on. Oh, it's great to be back. I know I've been gone for a while because I was over in Europe for <laughs> a month. And then schedule conflicts and illness and blah, 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 blah. But yes, a, a nice Schnapszahl uh, podcast for... A really interesting episode, I think. I mean, there's just a lot going on. First of all, with Dortmund, it's nice to look down at Bayern again uh, from top of the table. It's been a while. Um, and so, yeah, it's especially ahead of a match against Bayern. I'm pretty excited about this, uh, and, and I hope I don't get disappointed on Saturday. <laughs> well, Matthias, I think we're all filled with Vorfreude, the joy of anticipation. And of course, uh, my 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 father taught me this saying that Vorfreude is die schönste Freude, meaning that uh, the joy of anticipation, joy of anticipation is the, the the best joy. However, as you grow up and experience life, you will realize that Schadenfreude is the best joy. But uh, <laughs> in this particular case, you have something I would call pre, so pre Schadenfreude, vor Schadenfreude, <laughs> because you just know. If Dortmund win, you get the side benefit of the Schadenfreude of Bayern losing. <laughs> and I think that's a, that, that's a pretty nice prospect, especially with all the things that un unfolded <laughs> during the week. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the stage is set. But uh, yeah, we do have a sponsor for this episode. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. Oh, I should have said sponsors because this episode is sponsored by Keith Leesenby and by Jordan Hunt, who have uh, pledged 10 bucks on Patreon to sponsor an episode. So uh, Keith and Jordan, uh, as always, thank you so much for your support. And uh, yeah, Matthias, um, I don't even know how to uh, introduce ourselves into this uh, episode because there are so many things that have happened since uh, we have last recorded. So um, do you want to quickly gloss over the Revere Derby even though I was watching it from a sports bar in Frankfurt because I had my, my own Euro trip. <laughs> and uh, let's just say I was, uh, I was not exactly <laughs> elated coming out of that game even though... Arguably, Dortmund should have won that easily. However, it's a derby and shit happens. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, watch it live because I was in an airplane all day flying back from Germany that day. So it's almost like our, our paths kind of crossed a little bit. First of all, who schedules um, a flight on Derby Day? Well, you know, it's... I have to schedule these things way in advance, and the DFL isn't as forthcoming with their schedules way in advance. Um, be that as it may, I did watch it then, obviously, the next day um, on, I almost said print on demand. No, on <laughs> uh, video on demand and uh, in a hazy fog of jet lag along with uh, time change here in the U.S. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it, it, what, the weird thing is Dortmund were dominant. They were the significantly better team. Uh, they had a ton of goal, great goal-scoring opportunities and effectively made two errors. Uh, they play a very high-risk style of football, which I think we all enjoy. But that does come with, obviously, risk uh, at the back to a bit. Um, Mats Hummels... Uh, that first goal that Schalke scored didn't look great. Um, we'll put it put it that way. And the second goal that they scored, because I, you know, they only had, I think, I mean, I, I can only remember like four or five highlights. Uh, that was just poor, poor marking. Alexander Maya is obviously a backup goalkeeper. I think uh, we don't really have to talk about that any any more in depth there. He showed that against Köln as well in their one goal where he should have been done much better. But Dortmund were significantly better. Uh, should have scored. Uh, Jamie Bynogittens should have ended the game uh, in the something 60th minute. I mean, he he had a great opportunity to score and didn't. And then Schalke did. And that's the way Adabi can go. Uh, Schalke did not deserve a point. Statistically, the interesting thing is I, I kind of looked at a couple of key stats uh, comparing Dortmund Schalke, Dortmund Köln. Obviously, a two-all versus a six-one. If you look at some some key areas where Dortmund had struggled in previous seasons, and then a bit in the first half of the season, it's progressive passes, progressive progressive carries, and take-ons, uh, because these show that Dortmund are playing forward versus side to side, and just kind of you know shuffling the ball back and forth, not doing anything with it. Um, much like Bayern did against Leverkusen. They had a lot of possession in the first half-ish, but they really didn't do anything. There was nothing progressive about it. Dortmund in progressive passes, carries, and take-ons was better against Schalke than against Köln, but in one game it was a two-all draw and the next other game was a 6-1 win. Sometimes that's just how football goes. Not always the better team wins. Uh, for me, the two key positive takeaways from the match of Schalke that you then saw again against Köln was a Guerrero in a more progressive eight role in central midfield. That is his home. He, he just seemed like a completely different player. Uh, Dortmund with the advantage of being able to play Marius Wolf at right back and Riazon at left back kind of opens that up to put Guerrero in central midfield. And you really saw against Köln where he came alive. And the other player where I would say Schalke was his breakout match and he solidified it against Köln was Daniel Mahlen. 
Uh, I thought he was really good against Schalke, and I thought he was absolutely astoundingly brilliant against Köln. Uh, that first goal, then, you know, we'll get into the Köln match in a moment, was just amazing. And uh, he, he showed everything he can do against Köln and, and started that way against Schalke. And, and I think uh, that those were two of the big ones that I saw where I'm like, oh, wow, this is really positive. And then he carried it on against Köln and just did it even better. You know, it's funny. We have been doing this for over 10 years now, and I very much remember talking about the more consistent role of Rafael Guerrero in the midfield when uh, he initially started out in that position under Tuchel, even though he was signed as a left-back and, uh, you know, ultimately, obviously reverted to the left-back position uh, due to the injury malaise <laughs> on the full-back position. This has never happened. Um, and, uh, yeah, he sort of has been playing left-back uh, for, I don't know, how many years now? Four years, pretty much. <clears throat> well, maybe maybe five, but, uh, yeah, I... I've I've spent so many episodes speaking about the potential of putting Guerrero in midfield because that is obviously his best position and uh, you know if only you had a left back uh, that could cover for him uh, so you can make that move especially against opponents that are deep lying and uh, you know if you look at that Cologne midfield I think it was um, a little bit helped by the injuries if you will because. Uh, Jan was suspended and Ashan uh, had a late injury, of course. So Bellingham, Guerrero, Dahoud, in my opinion, against the Cologne side, who obviously did not go to this final stadium to, you know, play all guns blazing football. I just think that level of creativity from all those three players is just impossible to defend. And um, we, I feel like have have almost failed to mention the effectiveness of our backline, especially our center backs in Schlotterbeck and Zule when it comes to passing it out of the back. Because we had a lot of center back pairings in the past, um, mainly with Hummels, where one guy was the clear build-up center back and one was this destroyer, you know, Zubotic and Hummels, obviously the, the most prominent pairing, but obviously there were others with Socrates and uh, so on and so forth. Um, but with Zule and Schlotterbeck, you really have two players that are absolutely lethal when it comes to the build-up play. And the passes that Zule have played in the Cologne game forward uh, to break the lines of Cologne is absolutely devastating. And I think that is a big credit why Cologne lost so high, just because they had to account for the ball-playing skills, the creativity of this midfield trio to then get completely <laughs> wrecked by the Zulu passes. So I don't know about you, Matthias, but after I saw the very lengthy list of injuries, we dragged into the Cologne game, and thank God there was an international break, so there could be finally some uh, recovering going on. Uh, I did not foresee this game being this... Uh, <laughs> decisive and uh, this decisive early on. I mean, we did lead for nothing at the half, and uh, arguably it could have been higher still. So, um, yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the first goal. You know, we had a line breaking outside of the boot pass by Marius Wolf, 
then you had Marlon take the ball, nutmeg the defender on a spin move, and then passes off to Guerrero, who obviously <laughs> has the technique to set himself up for a touch rake and then slot it home with the outside of the boot. Um, it's just overall a very sexy goal, and I have to say, I really do struggle to envision how to defend it, and honestly, there's a debate <laughs> on whether this was the sexiest goal of the afternoon, because that touch that sets uh, Sebastian Alea up for the 2-0, if I remember correctly, uh, was just as good. You know, the, the amount of pace in the ball pinging around and... Uh, the disorder of Cologne's defense at that moment, um, just uh, ri ridiculous. But it, it was it was so appealing to watch. I mean, the the commentators were raving about how you know you can always tune into Dortmund because they play such a sexy football, and I can do nothing but agree, Matthias. Well, yeah, those first three goals were some of the most sublimely beautiful football I have seen. In a long, long time. Um, I mean, we talked about that first one, that kind of pirouette move from from mine. That second goal, uh, where when I rewatched at least the highlights, uh, mine actually plays an important role because he moves out when Voif is moving in, and that drags defenders out of position in the sense it spreads them, which opens up that middle. Which then you've got that little combo of Bellingham, Royce with that backheel flick, uh, Guerrero, and then Alea who does striker things and powers it in. Uh, and then of course the third goal where it was the chip ball that was from Bellingham, I believe, uh, -huh. uh into Malin running on who takes it with his chest and then volleys it. It should have been a goal. It, it does that deserved to be the goal. Uh, but then he quickly tracked around, got it back, got it to Royce, who then in typical of uh, Guerrero, yes, Guerrero, and then Royce, and then the Royce technique. Because if there's one thing Royce is really good at, it's shooting technique. Um, and and him uh, scoring the goal that he did. And I do want to also say that Malin, when he scored his goal, which I think was the fourth goal, where you just saw the pure power he can have in a shot where he's not like ripping it, but just straight out of his foot. Uh, which we've all known he has that type of power. I mean, you saw in that match the complete mine. I mean, every reason why Dortmund signed mine, you saw in like 20 minutes against Köln. Uh, he showed every be uh, bit of a technique that he had. And it was kind of interesting, the back and forth on, on Twitter about it, because Tazic, and I don't know if it's Tazic or just his team around him, but Obviously, he's the manager, so he deserves the credit. If he if he deserves the blame in the first half of the season where people are like, he needs to go, he deserves all the credit now, okay? Um, but the switches he's made, he I mean, he he basically ensured that Chan got a call up for the German national team simply by changing Chan's position and role in the team, which solidified the back, back line. Putting Guerrero then in... In central midfield, obviously now you have left back that can play there. I mean, Wolf can play left back too, we can't forget. 
that opens things up. And and Marius Wolf also, side note, congratulations, highly deserved call up the German national team. Yeah, and player uh, of the game, apparently. Yes. Yeah, and, and and that is because he has worked his ass off. And we think about when he came from from Frankfurt, that first season at Dortmund where he really wasn't good. He then went to Köln on a loan season. It completely changed him. He came back and simply because of luck, let's be honest, uh, Bledsoe-Brady effect, um, due to the amount of staggering injuries that Dortmund had, he played himself into into contention and then a starting role. And honestly, for me, to me, uh, if everyone is fit, Marius Wolf is an auto start at this point for Dortmund at right back. Because uh, he's also improved defensively, significantly. Uh, because at Köln, he was forced to play as a wing back. So that taught him that defensive uh, positioning that he had to do under Baumgart in a more pressing system. So, I mean, this was, uh, this, I think it was under Baumgart. Was that still under Baumgart? I, I think Where so. Where he played a cut? Yeah. Was it? I'm not entirely I'm, honestly, sure. Honestly? Or was that, was that, it I don't know. Now I'm completely lost. No. You. <laughs> no, now I'm, now I'm questioning myself. But either way, he played at wing back and that, that really uh, transformed him. And he actually played well against Dortmund that season, I remember. Um, yeah, so, he had uh, two flick-ons from the same counter uh, set piece. I think two yeah, corner kicks that he assisted. First half of the season, and then in the second half of the season at wing back, he the pace just Dortmund had a hard time competing with him. So overall, Dortmund is just clicking even with players out. Because I remember the Chelsea match. Because unfortunately, that I did see live in oh, yeah, Germany. We still have to talk about that as well. I totally um, well, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into that because it'll just get me ranting, and I'm not in the mood to rant. I'm in a good mood. Um, yeah, let, what a farce! Quick, quick, quick little synopsis of the Chelsea match. But um, first of all, I know how depressed we all were when Brandt went out. I remember you tweeting, Stefan, and said. This is really bad for the rest of the season. So I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um, but apparently, Dortmund can compensate. Um, but the synopsis of that well, over the two matches... For starters, I did not foresee that Tessic would actually put Guerrero in his position. True, true, <laughs> true. But, you know, synopsis of the Chelsea match. Um, over the course of two matches, you can't necessarily say that Chelsea didn't deserve to advance. Um, I hate Chelsea, so I will always say they didn't deserve to advance because I hate them so much. Um, <laughs> but also, but, they had more luck but, than skill in this fucking game. Yes, but but let's be honest. The way Dortmund lost that tie is gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching because they lost because the referee screwed up. In my pers personal opinion, obviously I'm biased. It, first of all, it wasn't a penalty. No, Marius Wolf um, was turning away from the ball. Yeah, and and the ball and is I mean, in every textbook of handball, that was not one. Um, I think it was, and I watched that match via Amazon Prime in Germany. Oh boy! And I think it was Stark, um, who obviously is massively anti-Bayern ex-ref, who said, well, you can give it. And I'm like, oh, you know, go pound sand in Bavaria. <laughs> um, but then to retake the penalty it was just, I, I, I was gobsmacked by that. I, I was like, I cannot for the life of me understand that that was retaken in that situation 
and just the feedback from all Dortmund players of the behavior of the ref. And it was, it was, it was farcical. It was shameful. But you know, Dortmund, it's one less match to worry about. Dortmund wouldn't win the Champions League. Okay, let's be honest. So it's not fine, but I, I think, Stefan, you understand what I'm trying to get at at this point. I don't want to have a better chance of winning the DFB Pokal and the Bundesliga than the Champions League. So if it's one, if it's a little bit less fixture congestion, whereas, you know, Bayern have to deal with the fixture congestion more, then fine. Oh, fine. Whatever. Uh, but I was upset. I was angry. Um, Dortmund didn't play great in that match. They had some opportunities, but anyway, that's, yeah, it I'm, was, I'm it not going to get into that performance, rant. But I mean, give, no, given the injuries no. once again, you know, if, if we had full health, if we had yeah. Adeyemi, uh, yada, yada. And, and, and Brandt, and Brandt of I mean, just losing Brandt that early, that was, that was a huge gut punch. Um, and so anyway, so, so moving on from Chelsea, <laughs> um, but getting back to Köln. Uh, it, but it, Chelsea matters because when you saw then how Dortmund played against Schalke, even though they only got a draw, and how they played against Köln, they like shrugged that off in a way that a year ago they wouldn't have. And again, I will say there are parallels to when Terzic, his first stint, where the mentality of the team changed under his tutelage. And it and he he is helping them achieve that again this season, where they also in the first half of the season had to kind of get through the malaise of the season with Rosa, which was a disappointment overall. It was weird, um, and and it's clicking again. And they shrugged off that loss against Chelsea. They shrugged off the disappointment of not beating Schalke, even though they played really really well, and then they just blew the doors off Köln. So. In a matter of speaking, the international break could not have come at a worse time in the sense of momentum for both Dortmund and Köln. But in terms of injury recovery, of course, it's it's very, very helpful. I mean, it is hard to understate the performance of Aiden Tessage since the World Cup break. And it really does pain pain me to say this. But I feel like losing against Wolfsburg and Gladbach, the 2 nothing loss in Wolfsburg, and then the 4-2 loss in Gladbach, made this possible in a way. Because nobody went into this World Cup break happy or satisfied or anything of that like. Because Borussia Dortmund, you hear it from the players, you hear it from the coach, you hear it from Kiel and everybody else, is that they had a lot of very honest conversations during that break, and the mindset since is an entirely different one. And uh, obviously, luck is always required when you go on a 10-game winning streak. Out of the question, but nevertheless, that <laughs> 43 win against Augsburg was already ridiculous, then that very late winner against Mainz and then beating Bayer Leverkusen in Leverkusen. Not everyone can do that now nowadays. 2-0 is also a good performance. And then you host Freiburg and you just punt them 5-1. to one, Select them. And then you have a very difficult tie against VfL Bochum, who made it 
a fighting game. There was no pretty football possible on that pitch and Dortmund accepted that fight. They conceded a goal, but they did come back and they prevailed. And then, of course, Werner <laughs> Bremen, uh, who, you know, uh, was a bit of a revenge game, but Dortmund, you know, wasn't was it the best game ever? No, but, you know, they did their homework and then you have the, the game against Chelsea, um, a 1-0 win, which maybe was a bit lucky. And then, again, you should like Hertha. And then, crucially, you win in Hoffenheim. This is such a trap game for Dortmund. A 1-0 win, you know, smash and grab, you, you, you score the goal and you get the hell out of there. Um, this game obviously could have ended like 5-4 to four or something, but, you know, all these wins also against uh, Marco Rose's Leipzig, you know. <laughs> to now be at this point that we are in a situation that we go into the game against Munich as Tabellenführer, as justified, deserved league leaders, to me, is amazing and it's already an outstanding feat no, when, no matter what happens to what the rest of the season. But I personally am so proud of this team and the togetherness they have formed, the spirit they have formed. I am always looking forward to Dortmund games nowadays. That it hasn't always been the case. So I'm just elated about this performance. And, you know, obviously... In hindsight, I think a lot will be written about Armin Reuters Hahn and his introduction because I do think that his influence is very much felt. You know, it's not just all Eden Tessic, but nevertheless, just the, the fact that this team has, has this sort of spirit at this point of the season um, is something to behold. And I'm very glad to witness it because I, for once, after Dortmund lost 4-2 in Gladbach, uh, did not have the imagination to now sit here in very late March and talking about the potential championship win that we could maybe solidify with a win in Munich. Obviously, hard enough, but Matthias, I just think <laughs> that's fucking awesome. You know, that we have something exciting to talk about here is 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 just truly blessing to me and... Uh, I just really hope I don't ruin it for us again. Um, because they so often have when they fired their coach. Because you all remember, Dortmund were ahead of Bayern when they fired Ancelotti and then hired Don Jupp again and they walked to a championship. Same with Kovac when uh, he was getting shellacked 5 to 1 against his ex club Frankfurt and Bayern were trailing Dortmund. They made a switch to Hansi Flick and they went on to win the treble. And now again, Julian Nagelsmann has fallen. He did not present himself worthy enough because the Bayern bonus no longer applied when VAR took away two dives and two yellow cards and awarded two penalties to an insignificant club like Bayer Leverkusen, which, in Bayern's view, should of course never happen. They should have the Bayern bonus all the time. So Julian Nagelsmann had to bite the bullet. <laughs> for the ultimate revenge game that Thomas Tuchel so thought after that he put the pistol on Bayern's chest and said, either you hire me now or I will pull the trigger and go to, I don't know, Real Madrid, Tottenham, whoever, but I'm going to be out of here. It would have been Tottenham. It would have been Tottenham. So, Matthias, on the one hand, I'm sure as a Tottenham fan, you're kind of happy you dodged that bullet, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Even though Thomas Tuchel, we all know. 
Uh, yeah, I don't He's know. I mean, you coach. go from. I mean, you go from Conte. Yeah, you know, Tuchel all of all of a sudden seems like Yopankas, <laughs> you know, in the sense of you know just just oh god, everybody loves him. Um, but no, it, it's gosh, I mean, sports sports is a bitch. Um, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the stories it writes and. You know, you don't really need incentive for buy-on against Altmont. Um, but there is there. I mean, I don't think so much for buy-on players or Dortmund players in the sense of players going against each other beyond what already is on the pitch. I'm trying to think if there are many Toche players left. Uh, Guerrero, I mean, Hummels was there. Royce? <laughs> Royce was there. Um, hmm. Well, Schule isn't here anymore, but Meyang isn't here anymore. <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to think. Brandt, that was after. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but obviously there are, there's Sebastian Kiel, there's, well, Felix uh, Watzke. <laughs> Okay. Uh, there's, there's Watzke, <laughs> there's Sama. Right? Uh, maybe. But either way, I mean, there, there is obviously a lot of incentive for Thomas Tuchel in this match. Uh, and he's nothing if not petty. Uh, let's, let's be clear. I mean, he's very professional. He's very good at his job. He's proven that time and time again. He's very good initially at working with monster egos. Uh, you can't forget, I mean, he managed PSG. Um, and you don't get bigger egos than you do in that locker room. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, Real Madrid maybe in Barcelona, but, you know, PSG is right there. Uh, especially when it comes to prima donna, uh, type, type, uh, attitudes. PSG is, they're the king. Um, however, you know, he always wears down after a while. And, and that will happen at Bayern. There's, given the egos, that you have in the Bayern hierarchy with Oliver Kahn and Zalihamidzic alone, those two, it's not going to end well with Bayern and Tuchel uh, in, I would say, at latest probably in three years. However, for this coming weekend, everything is perfect. Everything is is awesome. Uh, as far as their relationship goes. Now, um, what'll be interesting is to see how the players react because there were a few, um, Goretzka and especially Kimmich, who were very vocal that they were not happy about Nagelsmann getting sacked. They thought he was a very good coach. Um, and so we'll see. I mean, they're very professional players. So, you know, they'll just get on with it. This isn't the first hiring and firing at, at Bayon, but this is the first time that they've been so vocal about it. Um, and I personally don't feel bad for Nagelsmann. I think he's an arrogant shithead, and I'm glad to see him fail. I don't tend to have joy in people's failures. Uh, I think that's a, a toxic mentality to have in life. Too many people, especially in Germany, I know Stefan will agree with me, Germans are very big on on night, envy, and and kind of revel in seeing people fail at times. But Nagelsmann was such an arrogant prick from day one where he started at Hoffenheim that it's like this, I, 
I honestly think this is probably going to be good for him in the long run in his development, not just as a coach, but as a human being. I mean, he came out in an interview and basically said as much or in an interview in a statement, you know, he's linked with Tottenham, but he said he's not going to go to Britain. He needs some time to digest a painful separation from Bayern. So I think this this is probably a good thing for the human being, Julian Nagelsmann. So um, it, it's I mean, there are just so many possible narratives here. The only thing that bothers me is that this match is in, in München. That it's not in Dortmund. Um, I, I wish it would have been. Uh, there is a revenge factor in there because I, I think we can all agree Dortmund got a little screwed last time again against Bayern. Uh, the Bayern players are are hungry. They want to right course, which is never great uh, to face an ambitious, hungry Bayern side. But Dortmund are riding a wave at the moment um, of positivity. And Kiel came out and said a lot of players are looking very positive for the weekend. Kobe being a big one. Um, uh, against some media reports, Adeyemi is looking good. Brandt is looking good. Uh, for Bino Gittens, it's probably too early is what I kind of read there or saw what Kiel said. Schlotterbeck looks like he'll be fine. Obviously, he left Germany's side uh, international break right now just because of uh, some small injury, but it looks like he'll be fine against Bayern. So for the most part, Dortmund are going to be their full team slate. You know, Ochan uh, will be back, Chan will be back. So this is this is going to be quite the game. Bayern will probably have Chupomoting back, which is so weird for for me to say the fact that Bayern having Eric Maxim Chupomoting back is a good thing for Bayern because I just don't think he's that great of a player uh, historically. But he is a difference maker for Bayern because they don't really have a real striker if he's not playing. Uh, they tried the we don't need a striker thing and it didn't quite work out. So as, <laughs> After Lewandowski, Nagels- like you have learned zero lessons. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like you had arguably one of the top three, four greatest ever Bundesliga strikers or maybe even one of the best ever strikers. I was going to say, maybe, maybe it's in the top worldwide. one in the Bundesliga. Uh, I don't know. But as far as European football or world football in the last five to ten years, he's definitely in the top three or four of everybody. Um, so it, it, that they just thought they could basically false nine it in you a know, way. It's, it's, it's funny, speaking weird. of Lewandowski, not to interrupt you here, but the last meaningful Bundesliga game that Dortmund won against Bayern, I'm not counting this 3-0 on match day 30 where Bayern had already won a championship, was in fact in 2012 where Lewandowski scored the single goal. So that is uh No, sorry. I I screwed up. I looked at a game that was uh, in Dortmund. But it was the same season. Where well, it would have been 2012 yeah, and it would have been where, where the, the cup final no, where where Götze scored. When, when oh, the last yeah. the last okay. time Dortmund beat Bayern in Munich at the Allianz Arena was in 2011 where Mario Götze scored a re- relatively controversial goal because I do remember that the ball bounced off his arm or hand before he he scored it a little bit, so... Yeah, it's before VAR, it doesn't well, matter. Well, not only that, but also... I, 
I don't know if uh, <laughs> I mean probably the, nowadays the skull wouldn't stand, um, but I'm not, I'm still not entirely sure if it really hit his arm or not. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's it's like it's not a slam dunk call. Let's let's put this way. But if you r look at it in like from fifty different angles, you might come to the conclusion that that it, that he did touch it with his hand. But point being is the last time Dortmund beat. Bayern in Munich in a meaningful league game because they did have, I think, two DFB-Pokal wins at the Allianz Arena. It's a long fucking time ago. I mean, I think that game even precedes the Yellow Wild Pod, if I'm not mistaken. So... Well, yeah, yeah, because uh, Yellow, Yellow Wall Pod started um, with the 2012-13 season. Yeah. So just just consider that... It's been this long that Dortmund won a meaningful game in Bayern. And so, you know, we can talk about Nagelsmann, Tuchel, all this nonsense. But the stakes are so goddamn high right now. And and we've been shellacked at the Allianz Arena. It's not been pretty. It has developed into almost a complex for Dortmund. You know, Mats Hummels talked about it that... Uh, when he was a Bayern player, he could like just smell the poo in Dortmund's pants. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think when you talk about the spirit in this team, I have rarely felt this confident in the black and yellows going to the Allianz Arena and come away with a result. Because in my mind, even if it's a draw at the end, that for Dortmund would be a good result. Now, obviously, Dortmund have a much tougher remaining schedule. And, you know, as Kiel said, Today or yesterday, by no means will this game decide the Bundesliga. But I've also said on the Yellow World Report multiple times that if you want to win the Champions League, you at least have to win once, if not twice, against Bayern and uh, most certainly must not lose the direct comparison. So if this is two draws through the season and Dortmund win the league by getting more points against everyone else, that to me would also be a, a giant achievement. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the funny thing is that, yeah, Bayern are struggling, but also on certain days, especially when they play in the Champions League, they still look like one of the absolute best sides in Europe and their problem has been inconsistencies and probably one of the most vexing statements from the uh, press conference that I watched where they presented Tuchel, where they also justified why they... Uh, Sack Nagelsmann without really saying too much, to be honest. Um, was that uh, Brazzo said that they had to basically break a sweat against lower league table opposition and that would not be Bayern like. And <laughs> just th that just to me sums up in one sentence how screwed up the Bundesliga is that Bayern consider it an affront if you have to fight or play hard against, say, teams from position 13 to 18 or so. I don't know about you, Matthias, but uh, that really, that almost stung <laughs> by uh, how much they perceive themselves as dominant in the Bundesliga and how much the uh, the Meisterschaft for them is just like a side effect at this point because they have bigger and better things to do. Meanwhile, if we win a championship, <laughs> we would absolutely go bonkers. 
So, I mean, uh, there a few things about that. I mean, for Bayan, you know, breaking a sweat against a lower half of the table opposition that that would annoy them. I mean, that's not new. I mean, that's that's been Bayan since the seventies, yeah, really. Ever been I mean, said in I, I mean, maybe. I mean, there have been more arrigant groups of Bayan bosses. Bayan I mean, who have, knows? have not always been but this dominant. No, 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 no. Their their dominance um, in the last 10 years is, is obviously unprecedented. That's never happened in the Bundesliga. It's never happened in German football. Uh, that's pre-Bundesliga or, or since the Bundesliga. But in terms of, um, you know, if if they don't play well against somebody who's not a direct title contender uh that that's that's massively they don't even like their world collapses that's that's been that way at least for the last 30 years for sure um but for the last 10 years they've been so used to just winning the bundesliga i think the afterthought title for them is really the the dfb pokal that's really one where they're like what we didn't we didn't win that one this year how did that happen but it's tournament football whatever um but the bundesliga is kind of the one where they just expect to win it now because they've won it 10 times in a row right 10 11 yeah, 10 10 10 times in a row and that's obviously over the long haul whereas in tournament football like a dfb pokal you can just have a bad day and then you're you're gone. That's it. You're out. Whereas in the Bundesliga, you have 34 matches. And that's the thing about, you know, I was thinking about this a lot when I, when I look at leagues like uh, the Bundesliga, obviously Ligue 1 in France, La Liga in Spain, where, and for, gosh, for almost 10 years, Serie A, if you want to beat that one dominant side, you have to be perfect. I mean, you have to be the purest form of perfection and God, that's rough. That is so, so rough. Um, now the premier league, now Serie A isn't that way for the last three seasons, three seasons, three different champions. Napoli will win it this year. Great for them. But, you know, eventually that may, that may change again. Um, depending on, you know, how much Juventus invest into cheating again, but in the, the premier league, they obviously, They've cracked that mold to a degree uh, simply by, you know, gutting their football culture and allowing petrodollars, human rights violation dollars, you name it, we don't give a shit dollars into the league. And that does create competition because now it's about who can spend more. But it's a competition between like, five or six clubs then occasionally you'll get someone like newcastle who'd be like yeah sure we'll go in bed with the devil who cares um and and it becomes more competitive again whereas in the bundesliga of course we have 50 plus one it, for now hopefully it stays obviously it got solidified a little bit more over the last few weeks hopefully uh, which it's is important applied in full power at yeah Bundesliga. No, of course hello but but for me, when you see idiots from outside the Bundesliga say, oh, they should just get rid of 50 plus one, make it a more interesting league. It's like, no, I mean, I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million times more. I'd rather see Bayern win it for to infinity and beyond before Leipzig win it once. I'll, I'll be honest. I would take that today. If someone says Bayern win the Bundesliga, you can have Bayern win the next 100 Bundesliga or... Leipzig win it once, and then a few other teams can win it as well. I'd say, no, no, I don't want to see Leipzig ever win the Bundesliga, 
ever. You can call me short-sighted. You can call me petty. I don't give a shit because Leipzig is that one burning example of you can't allow that to happen. Um, but that being said, it means so much to every club that can beat Bayern in the sense of winning the Bundesliga. Now, we've also said it plenty of times on this podcast before, Stefan, that the quality of football is better in the Bundesliga in the last 10 years than it was in the previous 30 years, but the entertainment in the Bundesliga is as poor in the last 10 years compared to any other time in its history. Because if you look at the 90s and you look at the 80s, um, even in the 70s, even though that was very dominant, more or less by two clubs, in Gladbach and Bayern, except at the end when Köln came in, but the 80s and 90s, and uh, at the first bit of the 2000s, it was significantly more entertaining because you had other teams consistently winning the Bundesliga. You know, your Köln, your Hamburg, Bremen, Kaiserslautern, Stuttgart. Almost Schalke okay. for four minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yes, you had Wolfsburg in there as well. Uh, you had Dortmund in there. Uh, Frankfurt almost won it. Uh, I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody but, else, but, but I think also, that's it was a title that race. Pretty much, you has know, it. Leverkusen yes. came close. Yes. You know, if, yes. if if you don't have a title race, you don't have stories like Fitzkusen. You don't have Schalke winning the Bundesliga for four minutes. You you need to have this tension. And there were also title races. Uh, remember the Dortmund's first championship under Klopp? It was not against Bayern. It was against Leverkusen. <laughs> Bayern were third in that season, and they were they were hapless. Well, or the first time Dortmund almost won the Bundesliga in the um, back in 1992, it was down to the last match day between Frankfurt, Stuttgart, and Dortmund. Had Frankfurt won their match, they would have been champion. Had Guido Buchwald not scored for Stuttgart, then Dortmund would have been champion. But as it was, uh, Stuttgart were champion. I think Bayern finished ninth that yeah. season. Um, uh, I remember the first real memory of football I have is the 85 season where Bayern won the title on the last match day by beating Eintracht Braunschweig and Bremen couldn't get past a draw against 13th placed Borussia Dortmund that day. And that was the first time Bayern won the title in I think five or six seasons because before that it was all Hamburg and Köln. Uh, that's what the Bundesliga needs to return to. But I don't think it ever, ever will. It, I, I just don't see it happening, I think. And it's not because of the Bundesliga, Stefan. I think it's because of the Champions League. And it is just the cash that goes in there that Bayern already had that advantage and that Bayern go furthest in the Champions League because they just have the cash advantage. Dortmund's the next best one. Uh, but really, if they get to a quarterfinal, that's already an amazing Champions League season at this point because all the other clubs in Europe that make it that far have just so much money. And then it just it's a self-perpetuating cycle where Bayern continuously just get more money than everybody else because of Champions League dollars or Euros or whatever. Um, and you just can't compete. It's not the Bundesliga. It's the Champions I mean, it's League the that's the problem. the same reason why Dortmund have solidified second place. You know, they were right, right at the oh, same... of course, of course. You know, right at the correct time, you know, to have these the, these years of dominance. Could have been any other team, but it was Dortmund who uh, managed to jump on that wave and surf it until this very day. <laughs> because 
It's been for the last 10 years, Dortmund pretty much have been Bayern's biggest rival and that has not changed because look at the table again, you know. Um, but just to circle back a little bit to that news conference and you talking about, you know, Bayern being too big to fail. There's something that this is like, I, I have a very hard time grasping and maybe you can help me out here, but it's just... Listening to this news conference and also to Brazzo in the Doppelpass on Sunday, one thing is just very apparent. Um, obviously, I personally agree with hiring Thomas Tuchel. I would have done the same. I think it's probably the best coach available for Bayern. And uh, we both agreed pre-part that they are probably going to be unstoppable next season. So hopefully this is our year. And if not, then maybe the year after that year. <laughs> Who knows? But that's not my point. My point is that, first of all, this news conference was just full of bullshit. They are just lying their asses off, trying to justify decisions and, and courses of actions that just never happened the way they claim they happened. Just no way uh, <laughs> anything happened like Brazzo explains it. But it's also just the fact that Neither Khan nor Brazzo can really answer a question asked by a journalist in, in a manner where you get the feeling they have cognitively understood said question. So what I'm trying to say here is I think Khan and Brazzo, even though Bayern have been praised for their management quite a lot, I think they're, they're kind of two knuckleheads. And this is sort of my best hope that if there's a demise of Bayern, that they concede in dominance, um, even though they have all this money, that it's down to these two idiots. That is sort of my, my last hope I'm latching onto right now. Because, I don't know, they just come across as not the smartest people. So being consistently beaten by them hurts extra. I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, it's it's just funny how this whole thing went down. Obviously, a lot of FC Hollywood, and you said it, the Schadenfreude to what Julian Nagelsmann is also not uh, in in uh, in shortcoming on on my end. Uh, I I too am not the biggest fan of the person Julian Nagelsmann. Um, but that all being said, um, I've also always said on this podcast that if Dortmund want to win the championship it will probably have to come after Lewandowski and Neuer either retire or change clubs. And that exact thing has happened now. So as much as I appreciate the quality of Thomas Tuchel, um, maybe just having not these absolute word beaters, you know, scoring the goals and, and defending them, <laughs> uh, might make a, a difference for Dortmund that Bayern just uh, gain a little bit more inconsistency because how many times have Bayern looked abject and, you know, just due to some epic save of Manuel Neuer or some ridiculous goal of Robert Lewandowski have wiggled themselves out of a jam. And uh, I feel like uh, this season, this time around, it has happened way fewer times. Probably also because of that. I mean, there were a few goals that Jan Sommer should have saved but did not since uh, the World Cup break. 
So to me, that is a very interesting development. And uh, obviously, I think considering the financial gap, Dortmund are always at the mercy of Bayern screwing up and uh, underachieving in order to achieve a title. But that all being said, I also personally, whether Dortmund extend with Drew Bellingham or not, I'm pretty content about how our squad is set up for the next years. And um, before his injury, I thought that Karim Adeyemi looked like he's going to pretty much just beat everyone because Tezic has understood to switch him to the left side and his 1v1 skill and his pace just dusted everybody. So Matthias, to me, you already talked about Gregor Kobel, but uh, I was very disappointed when I read that uh, Karim Adeyemi had another setback and was probably going to miss that Bayern game. But uh, today or yesterday, I don't know when exactly, Sebastian Kiel did say that uh, he is in fact uh, ready to play and did not have a setback. So when we actually talk about this game and how we're going to beat Bayern, um, I'm going to say it now. I think if we have any chance of beating them, Karim Adeyemi will play a major role in this win. Whether he starts or comes off the bench, I don't know, because probably he will come off the bench. But I just don't see anyone on that Bayern backline, especially when he plays on the left side, so not where Alfonso Davis is running around. How they're ever going to stop him if Dortmund managed to find him, and obviously Dortmund have to do a lot of defending <laughs> for it to matter in the last 20 minutes. Um, but that all being said, I am very much looking forward to having Karim Adeyemi on our team for the foreseeable future in, in games like this, because Bayern will always play with a high line against us. They will, know, they will not sit ultra-deep like a Cologne or uh, other teams. So I personally am looking forward to the matchups that we will get on the field. And my question to you is, obviously, Marius Wolf, as you said, is a starter. If Nico Schlotterbeck and uh, Niklas Süle are fit and healthy, they will obviously also be in that back line. <laughs> We're recording this before the second uh, Germany game. So injuries can still happen. We all know our luck. Um, and of course, Kobe will be in goal. But apart from that... I'm not entirely sure what the lineup will be. My guess is that Riasson will also play as a left back, but considering who all returns to midfield, it could also be Guerrero there. So if you have to make a lineup prediction and uh, <laughs> you know think about who should play against who and which matchup and so on and so forth, I cannot wait uh, to hear about your thought process of uh, how you will pick this team that is tasked to beat Bayern Munich in Munich. All right. All right. So putting Wolf at right back, it's a given, especially because that's the Alfonso Davis side. And if there's somebody who can match Davies pace-wise, it's definitely Marius Wolf. His recovery speed is is phenomenal. Uh, Zule Schlotterbeck, you already talked about. Reason, I think you have to start him at left back because the just how dynamic Guerrero can be. You, you put him in midfield because Reason is a significantly better defender than Guerrero, and you just can't afford to drop your defensive capabilities against this Bayern side. 
I will also, I would be surprised if this, if Chan doesn't start in the six to kind of drop between the defenders, because that's obviously proven to work. Um, then the question will be who pairs up with him. It'll be Bellingham and Guerrero. I think they've proven they can do that. And then you'll kind of see how Chan works, how, how everybody kind of works in that dynamic. I think if Chan makes boneheaded mistakes, Salio Chan will, will slide right in. Uh, you know, it's very like for like in that sense. Uh, Salio Chan is not quite as pacey as, as Chan, but he's a little more level headed. Uh, and you're not losing much in terms of just kind of the bite defensively. Uh, Alea will start a striker. Uh, that's, that's to me a given. And then the wings. Um, given that Brandt and Adeyemi are coming off of injuries, I personally would start Royce and Malen at the wings. Uh, and then Adeyemi and Brandt on the bench to bring them in if and when needed. Because just, just if you start with Royce, given he played really well and kudos to him. He's the second highest scorer now in club history for Dortmund. Um, he, he got past Michael Zorc and is only behind Adi Preisler at this point. And he's the only one of those three who hasn't won a German title. So. Uh, let's just yeah, can we just say there. we need to win um, for Marco Reus? He cannot yes, end his yes. career at Dortmund without winning Correct. a title. And yeah. I, I feel like of all the years, this should be the one just for Marco Reus because obviously his contract extension is up in the air, but he is also playing really well. And still, I don't want to say his prime, but he's still in a very capable difference making position right now and obviously I don't know if that is still the case in one or two years time and uh, as you always say <laughs> there's no worse phrase in sports than there's next season or <laughs> we'll get them next time this is it so make it count and uh, I think Mark Royce will score on Saturday because yeah. he just he, he yeah. almost always does against Bayern even if we lose he, he manages to find a way and he's going to be hyper motivated for this one. Right, um, who is? Well, of course. But what the reason why I would start Royce is just because not just captain and leadership and all that stuff, but and he still has the pace and the technique, blah blah blah. But his off the ball skills, you know, his pressing is really really good. His pressing resistance is really really good. I would put mine on the right hand side because again, it'll keep Davies honest. It has to. Because you've got Wolf. I mean, you're basically matching pace side against pace side at that point. And it'll help to keep Davies honest. Because if he's not, if he goes forward too fat, too far, and you get one of those passes from Zule or from Bellingham or Guerrero or whoever, because don't have a lot of really good uh, passers who can pass to that right side of the pitch and spring open the opportunity for for Mayan with his pace, then then Bayern are in a world of hate. Now, if you notice a uh, world of hurt and hate. <laughs> well, um, they will be. But they if will you, be fuming. <laughs> they will be, yeah, yeah. But if you notice that Mayan uh, kind of reverts to bad type in terms of his pressing isn't good, his pressing resistance is good, his work rate drops, well, 
you know, then it's really simple. You throw in Adeyemi and or Julian Brandt at that point. Even though, to me, Brandt is more a like-for-like replacement for Royce. If you put him in in the wing and Adeyemi more for Mann, just because of, you know, pace and whatnot. But even if Mann plays really, really well, and then Royce, you know, starts slowing down course of the match, you know, imagine it's it's a tie game going into like the 70th minute, and then you bring on a fresh Adeyemi for Marco Royce or Donny Mann. You know, I mean, it's just that that in itself already is a huge bonus for for uh, against Bayern for Dortmund coming into this match, which, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm optimistic. Uh, it's, it's it, you know, I've, I've been watching the Bundesliga for a very long time because I'm old, children. <laughs> um, but it's as most optimistic I've been against Bayern in a very long time. I wasn't optimistic under Rosa. Under Favre, I wasn't really. I haven't been this optimistic since Tuchel, and unfortunately, that didn't go well either. <laughs> um, Tuchel's first season, um, but it that was always weird games where like Pushek had to play left yeah, back and stuff like this. Correct, yeah, yeah, weird, weird stuff like that. So I think Dortmund is just set up really well to to beat this Bayern side. Now, obviously, Bayern can beat Dortmund. There's no question about it. They're they're really really good guys. In case you didn't realize, um, but I I think Dortmund matches up. Now, when you look at matchups, this is the best matchup Dortmund have against Bayern in a very long time, very long time. I do want to say one quick thing, uh, not specific about the match, but about Guerrero, because I kind of threw this out there on Twitter uh, during the last match. Because people, because Dahoud played really, really well against Köln. And I was bummed when I saw the news that Dahoud's contract won't be extended. Because he came along leaps and bounds. I was one of his biggest critics in the beginning. And I've become one of his biggest supporters. And obviously his injury in the first half of the season basically meant he lost his spot. And that can happen in sports. It's just the way it is. However, Dahoud is surplus to requirements... At this point in Dortmund's midfield, if a few things happen, uh, I think John is going to stay because he's found his spot and he's too expensive to get rid of at this point. Sean, I think, is going to stay. Now, if Guerrero will long-term be in midfield and Dortmund bring in another left back, I would expect them to extend the contract with Guerrero and then you don't need Dahoud. Even if Bellingham leaves because it's a different type of player, you... You know, it's just he wouldn't have a place in that side. And so I can kind of see see that decision. Now, having seen Guerrero again playing in central midfield, I, I can see where the thinking is probably coming from. I mean, the, the thing about the season is it has shut me right up in so many cases. I mean, I have been the biggest Emre Can hater, get out of my club kind of guy. <laughs> So many times, and then <laughs> what happens? He plays well. I've said pretty definitively that I've seen enough of Rafael Guerrero's nonsense, and yet here we sit again. And extending his contract seems plausible in this current setting. In you know, in light of recent events, and even Julian Brandt, you know, who had to be doubtful of for a time, 
he, you know, now now it's flipped. Now it's like, okay, is he even going to re-sign with us or is he going to leave for better things? It's funny how, how this works. And and even Daniel Malian <laughs> is is looking good. I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for Gio Reyna to have his breakout uh, season now, but who knows? Might be right around the corner. I mean, Marius Wolf... I've said only once that I think his time was over and that was before Dortmund sent him away on loan. Or when he returned, I'm not entirely sure anymore, but uh, I've seen very early on the potential of Marius Wolf if he's just a role player and um, the fact that he is playing the right back position now and so well, I, I I think we've actually found a starter in him and that is amazing because he has so many, so many skills. So... Just talking about this just just tells you a lot about the, the coaching that has going has been going on this season and how many players have turned around their form. If you just really think about uh, our squad and how many names there were that I would have written off a very long time ago and how they have become cornerstones of our winning streaks, I'm I'm just very impressed. And I personally did not see a lot of things coming, so I have to eat a lot of humble pie. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just amazing that uh, we we have these developments, and uh, you know, as as I said, now we actually have a core foundation to to build a team on. I mean, we haven't talked about it much this episode, if not at all. But obviously, Sebastian Alia did score two goals against Cologne. But more importantly, I think he's going to be of much more value next season than he is this season because you can still see how he is in recovery and he is still far away from being at the peak of his strengths. But I've seen a full-strength Sebastian Alea and it is lethal in so many ways and so many reasons. And I think he will also become important against Bayern, not because I expect him to score a lot of goals, but I do expect him to have a sniff against Delict and Upamecano and against whoever else you will be playing um, when it comes to hold-up play because, as we all know, um, that is always a key element in beating Bayern. This is why Dortmund fared very well when they had Lewandowski against Bayern. Not because he scored a million goals, but because he managed uh, to, to allow, you know, with sometimes even a simple punt for Dortmund to relieve some pressure on Bayern, but also just you know, passing it out the back line or, you know, through midfield to Lewandowski and him just retaining possession for that extra second and pass it off. That just makes a world of difference. And that is a skill that Sebastian Alia possesses. And it's something that Bayern have struggled with a lot this season is when someone is able to maintain uh, possession despite their very aggressive pressing waves. So that is something I personally am looking forward to and looking forward to to seeing how this will shake out because Sebastian Alea um, has that skill set and um, he has teammates that can find him, <laughs> as I said early on, with Schlotterbeck and, and Zule, of course, but also um, other uh, very highly skilled midfielders. So I personally am just just uh, looking forward to this and I do wonder um, how many stints of... of uh, pressure we will have because 
I don't think it's going to be a very one-sided game where it's just Bayern pushing the entire time and Dortmund being on the back foot from the first minute to the last minute. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like it's going to be a relatively open game. And so the little details will decide it. And uh, yeah, I for one cannot wait. So, Matthias, unless you have any other thoughts, I think it's time for predictions. <laughs> or maybe we should abstain and not jinx us. Maybe we should do that. So, so just say you know, your final thoughts. I, <laughs> my final thoughts. I mean, uh, two things I do want to talk about. One final thought. Yeah, I think not a scoreline prediction, but win, lose, or draw. Let's just, let's just keep it safe like that. Um, and and I am going to say <clears throat> Dolman are going to win, and and I'll just leave oh, it at boy. that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say anything. I, I just decided for myself okay. that if I say they're going to okay. win, they're not. So, Fair enough. And I also don't want Fair them... Enough. I don't want to say they're going to lose, so I'm not going to say that either. And a draw is kind of boring, yeah. isn't it? Even though... It, yeah, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but now let's, let's, let's take this, this mental exercise a little bit further. Um, oh, boy. And, 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 and I'm kind of looking You're bringing ahead. in all kinds of trouble here. Yeah, looking ahead oh, a little bit to both clubs' schedules. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and this is, honestly, it's irrespective of result, uh, win, lose, or draw. You know, Dortmund have a very difficult April ahead of them. Um, you know, they've got Leipzig in the cup next. Then they have Union at Berlin, home, thankfully at home, at home. And then Stuttgart, who are fighting against relegation. Then they've got a Frankfurt side, which is always difficult, and a Bochum side, which is difficult in fighting against relegation. So it's a very difficult April. However, when I look at May... Yes, names on the tin, not easy sides. Wolfsburg, Gladbach, Augsburg, Mainz. However, in May, I think none of those four teams will have anything to play for. I think those are dead rubber matches for those teams. And Dortmund will, irrespective of results this coming weekend, will absolutely have something to play for in that time. So I, I would say if Dortmund can get through April relatively unscathed, I'm not worried about May. If I look at Bayern, now Bayern have two more matches in April because they have the Champions League against Manchester City. Um, they've got Freiburg in the cup at home, and then they have Freiburg immediately after that, four days later, away in Freiburg in the league. That'll be really, really interesting. Now the problem is Freiburg, I feel like, has really faltered since the World Cup break. Um, I'm a little surprised at times. Like, they can play really well, and then they just completely get obliterated. Well, it seems like Dortmund. Yeah. I, Go on. Yeah, so I don't I don't know how they're going to end up against Bayern. I, I honestly don't, but they have a lot to play for, Freiburg do. Uh, Manchester City, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, the, the match in between is Hoffenheim. They're obviously fighting against relegation, and they're always oddly difficult. As we found out. And then they've got... <laughs> As we find out, and then they play against Mainz. Difficult. Mainz at that point will still be playing for something. Hertha is playing against relegation, and Hertha, yeah, okay, Bayern are probably going to beat them double digits at this point. Um, and then you look at May, and there are two matches I think Bayern have that are dead rubber matches. Uh, Bremen and the last match against Köln. I don't think either one of those teams is going to go is going to get relegated or promoted. And then they're against probably still in a relegation fight, Schalke. 
And then they've got Leipzig, and Leipzig will still be playing for Champions yeah, League. And then at that I point. have to root for Bayern almost. If, if so, Leipzig miss out on Champions League football, that will be huge I know. too. Well, it obviously obviously depends on the constellation in the league. If if Dortmund are six points clear at that point, sure, Bayern can win. <laughs> um, but it's going to be interesting. I don't think anybody has a clear advantage or disadvantage. I think. Um, League-wise, you could argue Dortmund have the more difficult April, but uh, Bayern have the Champions League in there. And so I think that kind of balances that out in how they could perform in the league. You know, coming off tired against Manchester City to then three days later have to play against Mainz in Mainz won't be easy. Um, I think... Then, you know, coming off uh, four days later to play at home against Hoffenheim will be a little bit easier. Um, but it, it's going, they're going, it's going to be very, very interesting April. I think April will define who wins the league. I don't think this weekend will. Um, I think if Bayern win, obviously, then they'd be, what, two points ahead of Dortmund? Yeah. Um, but given the things I just mentioned, Dortmund can make up the two points. If Dortmund win, they're four points. At least you've got a little bit of a cushion. You've got a little bit of a cushion there that you can afford one or two screw-ups, and you're probably still good. Um, if it's a draw, it's just as tight as anything else. So uh, it, it'll be an interesting run-in. But what's what's wonderful, what is truly wonderful, Stefan, is that we're at the end of March and that at the beginning of April, I don't, it won't change no matter what the result is on the weekend. We are talking about don't want in a title race against Bayern in the last two months of the season. And it's really good to be able to say that legitimately, not hopefully, but legitimately. Like I said, it's, it's amazing. And I mean, it can all be over very soon. <laughs> we must not forget that, but, uh, you know, people, when, uh, when that Tuchel news came out, where a, a, a lot of I, I've seen a lot of resignation in, in Dortmund fans because they've seen this happen often before. But I've said, you know, I'm not betting against this Dortmund team currently in any scenario because they have something going, they have something cooking, they haven't had in a while, and. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why it just seems like a guy, <laughs> like a dude of destiny. I'm not entirely sure how this is happening, but he he just he just does. There, there's just uh, something about this coach that is managing something that uh, you know that others have not. Even though I I do think there there you know let's say more gifted coaches out there from a tactical standpoint, but. He has managed to, to light a fire in Dortmund again, and I think uh, the Favres and Roses of the world just did not manage that. And that is also one point I, I made coming away from that Bayern news conference. Neither the president, the, 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 the press officer, Kahn, Brazzo, or Tuchel, nobody talked about the Bayern fans. Like, they did not exist. And I don't know about you, but if I'm starting a job as the coach of any football team, I want to get the fans involved. I want to create a sense of togetherness. I want to create a spirit. And it's just nothing of that. And to me, that just goes to show what a soulless and broken club Bayern Munich are and how wasted any success is on them. So <laughs> with that in mind, it is time to 
Lay their leather pants off. <laughs> and it has it, as he noted, why would you even want to see them naked? I don't care. <laughs> I just wanna I just wanna humiliate them while having fun. So in in that regard, everyone listening, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend and we shall be back with another episode. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> after the game, to either discuss the despair we are in, or the unbridled joy. Until then, as always, stay solid, and goodbye.